It is without a doubt the most familiar of the 150 Psalms. Its words just might be framed and hanging in your home hallways. The stanzas could be committed to your memory. This poem is one that is frequently recited at funerals. The reason we love this psalm is because it speaks of the sovereign care of our God. That even in the midst of chaos, our comfort is in the Lord. This is David's testimony. I'll go ahead and say up front, I don't think it's just David's testimony. I think it's my testimony, and it just might be your testimony. This familiar psalm is the 23rd Psalm. I invite you to open your Bible as if for the very first time. I ask you to open your heart to the reading of this psalm as if it's the very first time you've ever heard it. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. As today we talk about David's testimony, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, words that perhaps we've heard many times. Yet today I pray that you will give us a sense of freshness, awe, and wonder. Help us to hear it as if this is the first time we'd ever laid eyes on the 23rd Psalm. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The author of this psalm is David. The question of its authorship is rarely, if ever, called into question. Many people believe and know and affirm that David wrote these words. Yet the part of it that is debatable is when did he write these words? Some have concluded that since David was a shepherd when he was a young boy, he must have written this psalm when he was a young boy, and perhaps he did. But I want to make the argument this morning that perhaps David wrote this at the end of his life, not at the beginning. Maybe he wrote it in the twilight years of life. Perhaps he was looking through the rearview mirror of life and seeing how God had always been with him in every stage and station of life. For I believe that Psalm 23 communicates this, that just as sheep are dependent on the shepherd for everything, David says, so I have been dependent on my Lord for everything in my life. He begins with one of the most profound statements in all the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you've been in church very long, if you've heard this psalm frequently, those words just may roll off your tongue and perhaps even fly right over your head. But let it be known that this is one of the most profound statements in all the Bible. David galvanizes two foreign concepts in the Hebrew mindset. No one would have put together these ideas that Lord is shepherd. 
The Lord is so unique and majestic. Shepherd is so meager and common. No one would have ever placed those two things together, yet David, in a beautiful, masterful way, galvanizes both these ideas. The word Lord is written in your text in all capital letters. That communicates that this is the name of the Lord, Yahweh himself. It's the name that was given to Moses by God in Exodus chapter 3 through the burning bush experience. God spoke to Moses through a bush that was on fire yet not being consumed. Moses asked the question, who are you? And he responds, you tell them I am sent me to you. I am, that's a swell name, but what does that mean? The Lord says, I am the God who has always been and always will be. I am. This was the name that was forbidden to be spoken. It is Yahweh, Jehovah. It is God himself. It's the sovereign savior of the universe. And David has the audacity to say that Lord is shepherd. The one who spoke the world into existence is shepherd. The one who flung the stars into space and taught the sun how to shine is shepherd. The Lord who created everything that we see, everything that's invisible, the Lord who taught the birds how to fly and the fish how to swim is shepherd. The Lord who protected Noah and his family in the worldwide flood is shepherd. The Lord who not only created his people, but allowed them to go into captivity and then to rescue them with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, brought them to the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea, so they could cross on dry land. Are you meaning to tell me that Lord is shepherd? And David says exactly, that Lord is shepherd. The word Lord is so unique, there's one of a kind. It cannot be duplicated. It's the majestic God of the universe. And David says, this Lord is shepherd. There is nothing more meager than a shepherd. This is the job that nobody wanted. This is the thankless job. This is the job reserved for the runt of the family. If you had a, a group of young Hebrew boys, and if you were to ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, a doctor, a lawyer, a farmer, a pharmacist, maybe even a rabbi. No one would say, I want to be a shepherd. It's the thankless job. Nobody wants it. It's, it's the taking out of the trash. It's feeding the dog. It's, nobody wants to do that, but somebody has to do that. So we'll let the run of the family do those tasks. It's a shepherd. And apparently, the way David writes this, it is God who willingly stooped down to be shepherd. It's not that David coerced God, did not manipulate him, did not somehow stiff harm him into being shepherd. He just willingly stooped down. It's almost as if God says, I want to be shepherd. I, I want to be the one who just as sheep are dependent on the shepherd, so you are dependent on me in everything. I long to be shepherd. And this idea that Lord is shepherd is a very personal relationship because David says the Lord is my shepherd. Not just that shepherd, not just a so-called shepherd, not just his shepherd, her shepherd, their shepherd, y'all shepherd. It's my shepherd. Very personal. The Lord is my shepherd. This is a profound statement. David has the audacity to say that the Lord is shepherd. Now, assuming that analogy is true, don't also... Um, misunderstand the backside of that analogy. 
If the Lord is shepherd, that means you and me, we're just sheep. I remember uh, at the first place of ministry in Owenton, Kentucky, there was a farmer in the church. His name was Brian. Brian, among other things, raised sheep, and he was good at it. In fact, he was one of the experts in Kentucky. He would raise the sheep and show the sheep, and other people would come to his farm just to see his practices and what he did. I remember one day I asked him, hey, Brian, can I come hang out with you in the morning? He said, absolutely. I'll never forget when I went there very early in the morning, I might add. I went out there very early with Brian, and the first thing he said to me is, you need to know something about sheep. They are the dumbest creatures on the planet. I'll never forget him saying that. They are the dumbest creatures on the planet. I marveled at how he would feed them and lead them and call them and care for them. He told me, I can't drive them like I drive my cattle. It just won't happen. I've got to lead them. I cannot drive them. I marveled at how he would feed them. Now, of course, he had big barns, but even those big barns, he said, I, I have to make sure that these sheep feel comfortable, um, satisfied, because if not, they, they won't eat. I mean, they're so dumb, they'll starve themselves. If they're uncomfortable, they will not eat. If they're sheepish, if they're skittish, they will not eat. I've got to make sure that all their surroundings are okay for them to eat. If not, they'll starve themselves. And they're not going to drink from a babbling brook. I've got to make sure that the water is calm. If not, then they'll, they just won't drink water. Then they'll die. I remember when he walked in, the sheep literally, they, looked, they lifted their heads they watched him. It's almost as if they recognized his stride, his gait, his demeanor, the way he carried himself, even the way he looked. And of course, when he spoke, they listened. Now, I tried to do the very same thing. I tried to walk like him. I tried to talk like him, but I could not fool those dumb critters because they knew I was not Brian. There was something about it. They, they knew him. I watched him as he uh, gave a shot to each one of the sheep. He said, now, this is my livelihood. These are my livelihood. I've got to make sure that they don't get infected and diseased. Because if they die, then money's going down the drain. So I've got to give them their shots every day. I've got to give them vitamins every day. Because they cannot fight off anything, not even the common cold. So I've got to strengthen them. I've got to make sure that uh, they're as strong as they possibly can be. I tell you, I, I've been to seminary. I've listened to classes. I've heard sermons on Psalm 23. The three hours I spent with Brian that day was some of the most educational experiences I've ever had in my life. I walked away from there and I thought, no wonder, no wonder we're called sheep throughout the Bible. No wonder, because we are some of the dumbest creatures on the planet. We want to do our own thing and go our own way. We can't defend ourselves. We, we are pretty frail and fragile. I mean, and it's amazing how the Lord feeds us and leads us, calls us and cares for us. It's no wonder that Jesus used this analogy when he said, I am the good shepherd. He used that in John's gospel. That's one of the messianic metaphors that Jesus offers throughout that fourth gospel to declare his identity is 
God. He's not claiming to be another God, a lesser God, a creation of God, or merely like God. He's saying, I am God. When he says, I am, he's using the word ego a me. That's the translation that God used in Exodus chapter 3 when he spoke to Moses declaring his name. Jesus borrowed that same name, had the audacity to call himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. They recognize my voice and they follow me. The same things that Brian personified, that's the same thing that Jesus proclaimed. He said he would be our great shepherd. Just as sheep are dependent on the shepherd for everything, so you and I are dependent on the Savior for all things in life. David proves this in his testimony. The Lord is my shepherd, and I don't want for anything. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything I need, he provides. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The shepherd knew where to take the sheep so they could graze. The shepherd knew when the sheep needed some rest. And so the shepherd knew how to make them lie down in green pastures. Some of you may injure today, and let's just be honest, you're quite frazzled. Maybe you're terrified. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're anemic and you need some nourishment from the Lord. I'm here to tell you, your shepherd knows how to make you lie down in green pastures. He knows where to take you. He knows where to leave you. He knows where to plop you. He knows how to feed you. He knows how to take care of you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, quiet waters. You know still waters run deep. No sheep will ever uh, drink from a babbling brook. And so the shepherd knew where he could go so that the sheep could be nourished. He leads me beside still waters. Maybe some of you come in this morning and you're parched. You've been choking down everything the world has to offer And while it immediately tastes okay and tastes fine, it leaves a funny feeling in the pit of your stomach. And maybe you just need a tall glass of Jesus today. (laughs) Maybe you just need to take a drink of Jesus to realize that he really can give you eternal life that wells up inside of you. All you have to do is ask and he'll give it freely. All you have to do is respond in faith and he will say, I will be your shepherd and I will take care of all of your needs. Jesus is the one who can lead us beside those still waters. David, in his testimony, says, it's the Lord who restores my soul. Because sometimes even our soul can get wounded. Our soul can get infected by the world. Just as Brian had to give vitamins and shots to his sheep so they could ward off even the common cold, there are times that some of you walk in, and let's just be honest, you are wounded, fractured, blemished, hurting. Maybe you're diseased or diseased. Maybe you're just uncomfortable with life, not knowing how things are going, not knowing how to make heads or tails of anything. I want to tell you, it is the Lord, the good shepherd, who can restore your soul. He is good medicine for every aching heart. David says, it's the Lord who guides me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He even helps me with daily decisions, David says. I don't know where to go. I don't know what uh, path to venture down, but it's the Lord who's my shepherd. He guides me into right paths of right living for his name's sake. He will help me go where he wants me to go. Not where I want to go, but where he wants to go. Because if I myself, I will stray. I will be a sheep. I'll get off course. But God is the one who leads me down the right path of his righteousness. 
These are beautiful pictures of tranquility, of comfort, of security, and of ease. This is how David describes his life with the Lord. Just as sheep are dependent on the shepherd, so, David says, I have always been dependent on the Lord in everything, in every stage of life. But everything comes to a screeching halt in verse 4, doesn't it? The entire psalm hinges on verse 4. Everything stops. Everything turns upside down. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's as if David wants us to know that following the Lord is not just a life of green pastures and still waters. Sometimes there there will be deep, dark valleys for the Christian, especially for the Christian. There'll be times when the valley is so deep and dark and lonely that you will not want to walk. Yet David says, yea, though I walk through the valley. I don't want to walk, but I have to walk. I don't want to endure it, but I got to endure it. It's painful. It's lonely. It's frustrating. It is uncomfortable. I don't want to be there. I don't want to have to go through that. I don't want to endure that. It's that time of life where life just doesn't make sense. You think to yourself, God, why me? Why this? Why now? Why do I have to go through this right now? I don't understand what you're doing. I know that your hand is upon me. I know that you're guiding me. I know that you're taking me to green pastures and still waters and directing my path. But Lord, I don't get this one. I don't understand why I'm going through this. You ever been there? Of course you have. One of the reasons why we love Psalm 23 is because it's so real. Yeah, there are times when life is full of green pastures and still waters. And then there are other days. There are times when we have to navigate the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe that's a literal geographical spot, the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe it can be walked in Galilee or walked in Israel. Or maybe David's just being metaphorical. Maybe he's just telling us in a very symbolic, poetic way that life is full of danger and and death. And I notice that he doesn't say, I have to navigate through the valley of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. Because you and I know that a shadow oftentimes looms larger than reality. What we have to experience, yes, it can be bad, but even before we experienced it, the fear of what it might be was even far greater. And so we know what it is to navigate through the valley, a valley of the shadow of death, that shadow that looms larger than even reality. It's some place we don't want to go. Truth be told, none of us want to experience heartache and headache, do we? If we could, we want to avoid the valleys at all cost. We want to valley anything, we want to avoid anything that is painful. We wish that we could fly over it, run around it, or dig underneath it. But apparently we have to endure it. We have to walk through the valley. Where are you, God? That's what the mother sobbed as she held her stillborn baby. God, why did you allow this? That's what the 48-year-old man asked as he left his supervisor's office, a supervisor that just told him that his services with the company were no longer needed, even after 23 years of work. But God, while my daddy cried the eight-year-old as her tears hit her father's casket. 
what did I do wrong? Said the 12-year-old boy when his mom and dad sat him down to say, we no longer love each other anymore and mommy and daddy are getting a divorce and mommy and daddy are going to live in different houses. I don't know if I can do this, God. That's what the 68-year-old man said when he stood there holding his wife after just being told by the doctor that she has an operable brain cancer. It's a deep, dark valley. It's painful, lonely, it's dark. If we could avoid it, we would. No one in their right mind would want to go through that, whatever that may be. Yet David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. David, how can you say that? Is it because somehow you think yourself to be so strong and macho? Is it because as a boy you were able to destroy the, the lion and the cub? Is, is, it, is it because somehow you're a mighty warrior? Is it because that you're just big and strong and you try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Is it because somehow you have inner fortitude that's off the charts? How can you say that, David? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Are you just disillusioned? Are you just losing it, man? Are you just like out of touch with reality? How can you say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He anticipates your question because he gives the answer. I will fear no evil because you are with me. The blessed assurance of the Bible is this, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. He never abandons his sheep. He never says to his sheep, hey, I'll see you on the other side. Hope you make it. I'll be thinking about you, but I, I can't go through there. I'll see you on the other side. No, the Lord never abandons his sheep. He always accompanies his sheep, even through the deep, dark valley. So David says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I can't see your hand in front of my face. I can't see my hand in front of my face. I can't even feel the breath of the voice of God against my neck. I can't, I can't see you. I can't really even hear you. But Lord, I know that you're there because you are with me. Do you know that? Do you know that God is with you even when you can't see him? Even when you cannot feel him, even when you don't have all the goose, uh, 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 goose bumps all over your body, even when you don't have that feeling, don't you know that God is still with you? David says, I fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you notice the shift in David's speech? The first three verses, he speaks of God in the third person singular, he he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But you get to verse four, and it's no longer third person singular. It's second person singular. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. When you're in the deep, dark valley, it's not enough to talk about God. You've got to talk to God. 
It's not enough to talk about that so-called redeemer. You talk to your redeemer. It's not enough to talk about the so-called God. You talk to your God. It's not enough to talk about that potential savior. You talk to your savior. When you're in the deep, dark valley, you can't handle it all by yourself. It's not enough just to talk about God. You want to talk directly to God. And that only comes through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I fear no evil because you are with me. My friends, if you don't hear anything else, please know this, that David is testifying the blessed assurance that God will never abandon his sheep, but he will always accompany his sheep, even when his sheep don't feel the presence of the shepherd. I fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. These are the tools and weapons of the shepherd. It's the rod that would beat off the wolf, the fox, the enemy. It is the crook of the, of the staff the, that would reach down and rescue the sheep that had gone its own separate way and maybe even keeping the sheep from falling over the ravine or grabbing that sheep by the, the four legs and retrieving it to safety. I fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. My friend, you may find yourself in the deepest, darkest valley it's in those moments that I want you to know more than anything else that God has not abandoned you. How do I know that? I could give you stories. I could give you personal experience. I could also tell you about the darkest day in human history. It happened some 2,000 years ago. Outside the sacred city of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified. He was taken up that skull-shaped hill called Golgotha, and there he was executed. Executed not because of anything he did wrong, but by his own words, he was dying in our stead, in our place, as our substitute. So the weight of sinful humanity was upon Jesus, and Jesus endured a horrific death. He was bruised. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brings us peace was squarely placed upon him. And he writhed in pain. It's the worst kind of death anybody could imagine, especially in those days. And Jesus said, God, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. The very next line says, why are you so far from saving me? What he's asking is what you ask. And I ask, God, where are you? Why do I have to go through this? Don't you remember what he asked for just a, a, a few hours earlier where he said, Lord, is it possible, Father, for this cup to pass from me? Yet not my will, but your will be done. So if I have to do it, I'll do it. And then in the moment of doing it, he says, oh, Lord, God, Father, why are you so far from me? Why, are you, why have you forsaken me? For the first time ever, there's a splintering of the Trinitarian relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That had never happened before. There was a splintering. There was a stress of that relationship. And for the first time ever, the son cries out to the father, why? Why have you forsaken me? He fully expects God the father to step in and say something. And for the rest of Friday afternoon, God said nothing. Friday night, there seemed to be a divine gag order. Saturday morning, 
Everyone woke up expecting something to have happened, and there was nothing. Saturday afternoon, there was still silence. By Saturday night, it was beginning to sink in. You know what? I think it's over. But early on Sunday morning, early on Sunday morning, light broke through darkness. Early on Sunday morning, God the Father, he raised God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. He simply lifted his hand and rolled the stone away. And Jesus was raised from the dead. If you want to know what was going on, not Friday and Saturday and Sunday. What was happening? That's a question the Apostle Paul asked. He answers it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. Implication, counting men's sins against him. Where was God in all of this? He was right there at Calvary. He was in the shadows. He was right there with Jesus. Had he abandoned his son? No, he had never abandoned his son because God the Father is a good shepherd and he never abandons his sheep, not even the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment, God was in the shadows. He was working in the background. I want to submit to you this morning that sometimes you walk through Deep, dark valleys. And the reason is because God is working in the shadows to bring about his goodwill according to his good pleasure in your life. And the only way for that to be accomplished is for you to go to the valley and through the valley. And our God will never abandon you. He will always accompany you. Even when you can't see him and even when you cannot feel him. On the other side of this deep, dark valley is a banquet table. Some have said, well, that's heaven. Well, it might be. But it also could be that David is continuing that shepherd-sheep imagery. Because what he describes is, just as the shepherd has to lay out the food for the sheep, and only when the sheep are secure, comfortable, Will they be able to eat? David says, listen, this shepherd is so awesome that he can even lay out my food in the presence of my enemies and I'll still be comforted in him. I'm able to eat. He anoints my head with oil. Wasn't it common for a shepherd to anoint the head and the horns with oil? My cup overflows This is David saying that God blesses me more than I can even imagine. Some have been to those great restaurants, right? Those great restaurants that your glass is half empty and the waiter or waitress comes and refills it again, never letting the glass get half empty, but constantly filling it. And of course, we're Baptist in Alabama, so that's with sweet tea. Amen. So it fills it with sweet tea so that you never run dry. And it gets me to thinking, every time a waiter or waitress comes and refills your glass, isn't it customary for you to say thank you? It would really be quite rude for you not to say thank you. Somebody comes and they fills your glass, you say thank you. When was the last time you thanked the maitre d' called Jesus? When was the last time you thanked him for he put on the waiter's robe, the apron around his waist? He serves When was the last time you stopped just to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for waking me this morning. Thank you for giving me air in my lungs. Thank you for giving me a 
strengthen my step. Thank you for allowing me to come to church. Thank you for these relationships. Thank you, oh God, for salvation. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank, I just want to stop and say thank you because it'd be quite rude for Jesus to fill my cup over and over and over again and for me not to thank him. So this morning, don't allow you to get out of this sanctuary without you at least stopping just to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done because I don't want to be rude and I don't want to just take the blessing without saying thank you. So thank you, Jesus. He anoints my head with oil. He allows my cup to overflow. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David personifies God's goodness and God's mercy. It's almost as if he's looking in the rearview mirror and he sees that goodness and mercy have been flanking him all the way, following him like a hound of heaven. That every time David messed up, it was God's goodness and God's mercy that cleaned up the mess up. It's another reason why I think that David writes this later in life because David knows what it is to walk on the wrong side of morality. David knows what it is to be a failed parent. David does not get Father of the Year award. I don't think he ever got it. I think David hated Father's Day. You know, he had to come to church and hear that sermon. He didn't like to hear that sermon about how he was a failure as a father. David knew what it was to run for his life. And the one he's running from is that son. David knows what it is to mess up. He says, every time I looked in the rearview mirror, it's God's goodness and his mercy that have been cleaning up my mess ups. My friends, is that your testimony? That's mine. Because certainly there have been times I can look in the past and I've got some mistakes. I've got some skeletons. I've got some uh, bad decisions. And every time I look back, I see that God's goodness and his mercy have been covering over my mess ups every step of the way. And that's another reason why this morning I just want to stand and say, thank you, Jesus. I may not be all that I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. I thank you, Jesus, because you're good and your goodness and your mercy have been hot on my trail for years. Thank you, Jesus. And David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The appropriate place for David is not on a Palestinian hillside. It's not even in a palace hall. But the appropriate place for David is in the presence of the Lord forever. You do know that we walk with God and we talk with God along life's journey and then to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. That's the blessed assurance, the promise that God gives to his children this is David's testimony. It's not just David's, but it's mine. It just might be yours. Don't miss the point. David wants us to know that as sheep are dependent on the shepherd for everything, so David has been dependent on the Lord in every season and chapter of life. There was an English professor at a secular college university who lifted out Psalm 23 as an example of fine literature. That day that they were going to discuss Psalm 23, he went through all six verses. He described in literary fashion everything that's going on and how and why the author crafted this poem in this way. The professor had asked a seasoned preacher from the area, to come in at the very end of class just to say a couple of words about Psalm 23. Well, telling a preacher you only have a few minutes is quite hard. So the pastor thought, well, what can I do? What can I do in just a couple of minutes that's going to be meaningful? So this is what he did. The professor introduced him. The pastor took the floor. 
And he simply recited Psalm 23. He said it with conviction. He spoke it with passion. He said it as if he knew what he was talking about. When he got done quoting the six verses, he simply stopped, bowed his head, and went back to his seat. There was dumbfounded silence in that large college room. The students, spellbound, eyes were bugging, jaws were dropping. Something about the way he said it. There was that awkward silence. You know how it makes everybody uncomfortable? You got to say something, right? So Professor got back up. And this is what he said, very profound. I told you about Psalm 23 because I know Psalm 23. But this man knows about the shepherd of Psalm 23. And it makes all the difference. Class dismissed. Wow. How profound. How accurate. We can walk through in literary fashion of what is Psalm 23. We can talk about it. We can parse it. We can dissect it. But this man, this man knows the shepherd of Psalm 23. And it makes all the difference. This is David's testimony. This is my testimony. Is it yours? Is this your song? Is this your poem? Are these your words? That just as sheep are dependent on the shepherd, so I am dependent on the Savior, both now and forevermore. Oh, he's cleaned up my mess up. He's got me out of some tight spots. He's provided everything that I needed. And even when life gets turned upside down, I know. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I may not hear him, may not feel him, may not even be able to get happy, but I know he's with me because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. If there is somebody listening to my voice, Lord Jesus, who does not know you as the good shepherd, Lord, today I pray that the minute the first note is struck, that individual will just come running down this aisle, take one of the pastors by the hand and say, I need this Jesus in my life. For those of us who are your sheep, the sheep of your fold, 
Lord, will you please forgive us for the times when we get so stubborn and arrogant and we go our own way and we get ourselves into trouble and we mess up. Oh, Father, will you please just retrieve us and call us, let us recognize your voice and respond. We give this invitation, whatever anybody needs to do, whether they come to faith in Christ, whether they come for prayer, whether they come to join this congregation, you lead, we will follow, for you are the shepherd and we're just dumb sheep. But we love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen.